It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Right, right. I know it's election day. The big countdown is over. We finally get to see, well, when will we get to see the outcome of the midterms? Uh, You know, there's not a lot for reporters to do on election day until the results start coming in and often trickling in, starting around 6 p.m. Eastern as uh, polls close in certain eastern states. Uh, You know, it used to be considered scandalous that the exit polls— um, would leak to drudge. And now probably everybody is going to be talking about it. I mean, the only thing you have to do on election day, if you're on TV, is kind of recap and bloviate and so forth. There is actually some news, or non-news, depending on your point of view, about Donald Trump, uh, which I will get to in mere moments. Um, but otherwise, you know, the problem is the first wave of exit polls, you know, the anchors are told they can use it to broadly characterize. Well, it looks like a very good night for the Republicans, but not to go beyond that. Um, but it's only the first wave. And and also, exit polls can be wrong. A lot of people don't want to talk to pollsters as they come out of uh, their voting places. So I will come back to all of this, but I do want to get some items in first. Uh, first of all, I am actually very sad uh, to report that the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, uh, the absolute hit series on Amazon Prime Video, is ending. It has ended because the actress who plays Midge Maisel, Rachel Brosnahan, has gone on social media and tweeted that uh, she's not coming back. It's, you know, I have mixed feelings about it because it's been on for four seasons, and I thought the fourth season last year was not anywhere near as good as the earlier ones. And that happens to a lot of these um, hit series, whether it's Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu, you know, uh, you name it, that, you know, that has a great first season. The second season sometimes is as good, sometimes not as good. But if it, it goes too long, it sort of loses, you know, the plots get a little more far-fetched. Anyway, Rachel Brosnahan bowing out as Maisel. Um, Joe Scarborough this morning on Morning Joe was tossing around the word bullshit. It was like, this is bullshit and this is bullshit. And I guess if he can say it on TV, I can say it on the podcast. And then other guests started saying, yeah, this is really bullshit. And it's not that I disagreed with the things that he was saying were bull, but, you know, I, it seemed like a new toy. Well, I'm just going to tell it like it is, and I'm going to use the whole word. Okay. You know, there was a time when you couldn't say, well, this sucks on TV. You couldn't even say it in a newspaper story. And that fell by the wayside, you know, changing culture and all that. I mean, you know, you listen to Sirius XM and Howard Stern drops all... It's almost become like a normal conversation. Like people curse when they talk, and if you want to listen... Um, to certain shows on satellite radio that's, you know, F this and this is a lot of S and, and so forth. But now it's kind of migrated. I was just really struck by uh, maybe there was an MSNBC memo that this is now an approved use for the for our network. 
Uh, Megyn Kelly pushing back against the New York Times. This has to do with the attack on Paul Pelosi. New York Times lists me as a spreader of misinfo. Speaking of Sirius XM, she's now got a show there. Because I raised doubts that all facts were being disclosed. And she says, it's called journalism, all caps. San Francisco PD clearly has more to disclose. But if you ask for it, you're a misinfo spreader. Grow up, NYT, and do your job. I feel at a minimum SFPD has egg on his face because even though in the most generous story to Paul Pelosi and to the San Francisco police, they were in the house when this guy attacked Paul Pelosi with a hammer. I'm not sure how that happened. How do you have police officers on site and an 82-year-old gets attacked with a hammer in front of you when you have a gun as a police officer? It's one of many questions here. I think that's fair. I don't fully understand it either. Let's see it all. I don't know what went on. I know enough to smell a rat. So she is not, she's defending herself against being lumped in with people who did, you know, spread the whole sort of male prostitute thing. And it's been fairly disgusting. Um, which brings us to story number one. Let me start with what didn't happen last night. And that is, despite a lot of reporting and chatter that Donald Trump was going to declare his candidacy, formally declare for president last night, the theory being he could then take credit if the Republicans had a good day in the midterms. Uh, let's just say a lot of Republicans were, I don't want to say freaking out, but uh, not happy with the notion that if Trump actually did it last night, they all thought he would drive Democratic turnout. You know, I mean, it's not like Donald Trump has been hiding in uh, in the, uh, you know, on a Mar-a-Lago tennis court or golf court, I should, golf course, I should say. Um, but what happened was, and this is classic Trump, he was talking to his advisors. He was telling uh, his advisors that he was strongly considering uh, formally announcing at his Ohio rally last night. And the advisors told reporters, well, Trump is seriously considering this. Um, now, Trump does that a lot. He sounds out advisors on a lot of things he doesn't wind up doing. And they tell reporters, and reporters report it. <laughs> but it's all now moot because he didn't do it. Uh, I would say he might have wanted to fake out the media. Certainly got a lot of chatter about it. But it's now moot because at the rally, he's now teasing a major announcement next Tuesday. That is a week from today. So unless he changes his mind, gets talked out of it, whatever... It looks like next Tuesday, Donald Trump will become a declared candidate for president. That's in part because he wants to um, stick it to Ron DeSantis. We'll come back to that. And it's in part because he just wants to get in the game. And it's also in part because he feels like as a declared candidate, it would give him some protection from these Justice Department investigations. I've already mentioned how uh, uh, Merrick Garland is strongly considering, to use the phrase of the day, having to name a special counsel to oversee these investigations who would have a lot of uh, clout in terms of pushing back um, if he thinks DOJ is going too far. But ultimately, it is Merrick Garland, Attorney General of the United States, who will make the final decision on whether there'll be an indictment or there won't be an indictment of Donald Trump. So... That's where it stands, but I also want to get into Trump and Nancy Pelosi. 
So, look, if you don't like Nancy Pelosi, if you hate her politics, if you don't like her personally, all that is fine. But she went through a horrible thing, with her husband almost being murdered. And she gave her first interview on this on CNN last night. I'll come to that in a second. So Trump's at this rally in Ohio, and he's getting wound up. And he's talking about, uh, he once told Pelosi in a meeting that members of the MS-13 gang were animals. And she sort of came back and said, you shouldn't use the word animal for undocumented immigrants. And then Trump said, outside of Dayton, I think she's an animal too, to tell you the truth. And I watched this tape several times, the video of it, and he is not smiling. It's not tossed off as a joke. Um, He said, she impeached me twice for nothing. Well, if you believe that Donald Trump was impeached twice for nothing, the first time the uh, so-called perfect phone call with Zelensky pressuring him to go after Joe Biden, and the second time, of course, having to do with January 6th, then you probably agree with him. But still, he called her an animal. And then he recognized what he had done, or he wanted to call more attention to it. He says, oh, they'll say, what a horrible thing. He called Nancy Pelosi an animal. I will never use the word bullshit again. Here's, he's doing it too. But what she did to us in this country, he also called her crazy Nancy Pelosi. So, do I even have to say it, you know, to call her an animal, particularly at this time when she's going through this tragedy with her husband, just seems, you know, he did it to get attention. It's as always, he likes to cross the line and everybody talks about him. Oh, this is awful that Trump did this. And he pointed to the, what he called the fakers, in, you know, the media covering the rally. And of course they're going to cover it. Everybody's covering it. Now, as for Pelosi's interview, I mean, she was clearly very upset and emotional during parts of this uh, sit-down with Anderson Cooper. Uh, Pelosi, remember, is 82. She said, I never thought it would be Paul. And she said there was a parallel between the actions and beliefs of David DePap who, you know, has basically confessed to the hammer attack and the thousands of people who participated in the January 6th attack on the Capitol. She said both of them were flames that were, quote, fueled by misinformation. This is not a path we can continue on, Pelosi said. And we want people to run for office, local or in every way. And you can't say to them, you're risking the safety of your families by going forward. And she's right about that. Uh, When Anderson asked if she made a decision on whether to retire if Democrats lose the House, uh, Nancy Pelosi said her decision would be affected by the attack on her husband, but she didn't say how. Well, we know how. He has got a long recovery coming. I mean, fortunately, the hammer attack didn't break through to his brain, but his skull was fractured. And even though he's been released from the hospital, you could certainly see how Uh, shall we say, helping her husband recover from this horrible, unthinkable attack just because he happened to be in the house in San Francisco and Nancy wasn't. Um, How she would rather perhaps help her husband 
recover than serve as House Minority Leader. Uh, meanwhile, a couple of Trump lawyers, one at the rally, one in an interview, were really hitting back at Ron DeSantis. You know, the guy who's now called Ron DeSanctimonious. Here's Christina Bob, formerly with OAN, a total Trump acolyte who became one of his lawyers. Um, I think that could pose some problems for him, DeSantis, if he actually tries to go toe-to-toe with President Trump. I strongly recommend that he not do that. I think it would be career suicide, probably for at least the next several years. She said DeSantis is under the delusion that he can take on President Trump and caution he needs to be very careful. Wow. Um, I'm not so sure DeSantis is going to run. I'm, not, I'm no longer going to say if, when Trump does. Um, I think Trump, you know, overwhelming favorite to win the nomination. But here's a fascinating development. Mick Mulvaney, the one-time congressman who was Trump's chief of staff for about a year. He never quite got the title, so he was always acting chief of staff, but he was the chief of staff running the White House. He says in an interview on CNBC that he does not want Trump to run again, and he will not support him. Uh, He was asked by Joe Kernan in a Republican primary, no. Mulvaney said, I'm ready for a generational change in my party. Uh, Ron DeSantis would make a great president. Tim Scott would make a great president. Nikki Haley would make a great president. Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, go down the list. They are all in my generation. Kernan says, but if he's the nominee, you'd have to. And Mulvaney kind of sighed, almost like in a comical way. And Kerner said, you wouldn't. I think he is the only Republican who could lose, Joe, said Mulvaney, referring to the uh, general election. And that, of course, would boost Biden as the only guy who has already beaten him. I think people would, you know, I don't know what people would do, because obviously a lot of Democrats think there's, need, there's time for a generational change as well, and Joe has left himself in wiggle room. But then you get into, okay, who is going to be? Gavin Newsom, Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg. Um, They all have weaknesses that could be exploited. And they, I don't know. I don't see the perfect candidate out there. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today. All right, number two. Coming back to the election and my take on the election. So I've been studying the numbers and it's hard for me to see you know, obviously even the media, the mainstream media, the dreaded MSM, uh, have conceded that Republicans will win the House. The only question is by what margin? They only have a three, the Dems only have a three-seat edge. And look, if, if it wasn't even like a crazy year, if we weren't voting with the future 
of not just democracy, but perhaps Western civilization at stake. That's how this has been cast by both sides. Um, the Democrats would still probably lose the midterms because that's the pattern. First two years of a president, people get fed up. They want to give more power to the opposition party, act as a check. That's just the way it goes. But the Senate is the interesting thing here. And I've been looking, I've been staring at the Real Clear Politics average. Now, I do have to say, I think Real Clear Politics does a great job. But there are a lot of partisan polls, polls that tend to favor Republicans, polls that tend to favor Democrats, included in the average. And so maybe the average is off uh, because, you know, Real Clear, as it should, doesn't make distinctions. I mean, it's not that it doesn't make distinctions. It feels obligated to say, okay, if we're going to provide our average, we've got to include all polls, some that lean right, some that lean left. Okay. So there's basically five states that will determine the outcome in the Senate. And remember, the, Demo the Republicans only have to pick up one seat for Mitch McConnell to become majority leader again because it's a 50-50 tie. So here's these real clear politics averages. And remember, I'm going to focus now on states that would flip. So I had thought that Maggie Hassan was in real trouble going up against Don Bolduc in New Hampshire. And if you see Maggie Hassan lose in New Hampshire, it's over. It's going to be a big night for the Republicans, and they will take over the Senate and pick up several seats. Real Clear Politics Average has her up now. She's come back up 1.4%. So if she hangs on, uh, and that's a hold for the Democrats, because she's already the senator, um, the GOP has to look elsewhere. Now we get to a couple of states where there would be a flip. Nevada. I don't think there's any question that Adam Laxalt, son of former Senator Paul Laxalt, is going to win that state against the incumbent Democrat, Catherine Cortez Masto, even though she's obviously Hispanic, in a state where Hispanics are really important. If that happens, real clear politics average, Laxalt up by 3.4%. I think it's likely, very likely to happen. That's a flip for the Republicans. If it's not balanced out by Democratic flips, that race alone gives the Republicans a, a one-seat majority, 51-50. Now you get to Pennsylvania, which is so almost totally tied. Dr. Oz up in the real clear by 0.4%. I mean, that's a statistical tie. What does that even mean? Now, if Oz wins Pennsylvania, it's just a hold because that had been a Republican seat. But if Fetterman pulls it out, which I think might be possible, I'm not ruling it out because I think a lot of Democrats maybe haven't seen him on some of these uh, interviews with journalists who are asking relatively easy questions and he's got the closed captioning and kind of writing off his horrible debate performance to he's recovering from a stroke and he's going to get better. That's a takeaway for the Democrats. It's a flip. So that shows you how important Pennsylvania is because it's one of the few chances, I think, few clear chances that the Democrats, if Fetterman somehow holds on, um, could flip 
the state to the Dems, and then that would balance out the Laxalt, the probable Laxalt victory in Nevada. So now there's three other battleground states. One of them is Georgia. In the real clear politics average, Herschel Walker, despite all the stuff dumped on him and very credible, two very credible accusers uh, that he pressured them into having abortions and paid for them, one of whom went on camera, doesn't matter. You know, Georgia Republicans like the guy. Georgia Democrats don't like the guy. Real clear politics average, Herschel up by 1.4%. So since he's up against incumbent Democratic Senator Raphael Warnock, if Herschel wins Georgia, that's a takeaway. That's a flip for the Republicans. So now you got them up by one seat again. Then we go to Arizona. Blake Masters, man, these are all people who, like Carrie Lake, who just were totally written off by the mainstream media, way too much of a Trumpy Republican with extreme views. He's going up against incumbent Democratic Senator Mark Kelly, who I thought was comfortably ahead. You know, people like the guy. He's not a radical crazy, former astronaut. Real clear politics average in Arizona. Blake Masters up by 0.3%. So that's a potential flip. So if, if just Herschel Walker wins and the other two are balanced out, that's assuming Fetterman wins in Pennsylvania, it's still a one-seat pickup for the GOP. And that's all they need. If, and that's true if Mark Kelly hangs on in Arizona. I mean, it's such a statistical tie, 0. 0.3. What are you going to do with that? If Masters somehow pulls it out, then they've got a two-seat. And if Fetterman doesn't win, well, they still have got a two-seat because that's a hole for uh, Pennsylvania, but it doesn't allow for a Democratic flip. So I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if... Uh, we see a Republican-controlled Senate. But, of course, the X factor here, as always in these off-year elections, is turnout. And, by the way, I don't pay any attention to the generic stuff. Would you be inclined to vote for a Republican or a Democrat? I guess the Republicans are slightly ahead. That's not how people think. They think, do I want to elect or re-elect Blake Masters or Mark Kelly or Adam Laxalt or Maggie Hassan? That's how they think. It's the people on their ballot. Uh, but it all depends on turnout. And there, Republicans seem more enthusiastic, but Democrats, some Democrats are also fired up. And the final thing is we probably won't know, uh, and here's one of the reasons. Six days after the Pennsylvania Supreme Court invalidated thousands of mail-in ballots after a Republican lawsuit said, well, they didn't have dates on these ballots or the dates were inaccurate. A lot of people are going to try to, who are in that category, are going to try to vote again. People waiting in line for two hours at Philadelphia City Hall. They've already voted. Their ballots are now being tossed out because of this business about the date. And um, they want to vote again. You talk about wanting to vote. 
Panina Bernstein said she was thousands of miles away in Colorado when she found out through Facebook that her ballot was undated and would not count. She made plans to get back to Pennsylvania to vote. I am flying home tonight and I will be there to fix it tomorrow because my voice will not be silenced by voter suppression. Adding that she is not wealthy and is making this trip at significant expense. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Let's go to story three. Rich Lowry in National Review. Uh, seems to be coming off Ron DeSantis without quite saying so. Uh, here's what he writes. It's been on for a while, but Donald Trump fired the first shot in 2024 with the Ron de jab. Uh, he says rumored to be contemplating an announcement as soon as next week. Well, it's no longer a rumor. Whether he does it or not, it's certainly based on journalists reporting on what Trump says. Uh, obviously, Trump's the front runner. Depending on his general election opponent and the circumstances, he'd probably have a 50-50 shot to win the presidency again. So it's time to think seriously about what that would look like. There were huge pitfalls to Trump 3.0 uh, that would be easily and nearly completely avoided by nominating electing DeSantis or any other Republican alternative. Uh, Lowry adds that he doesn't take it as a certainty that DeSantis will run. Neither do I. Uh, difference between nominating De Trump and DeSantis is hard to exaggerate. Trump wins the presidency again. It will be mayhem. The reaction on the other side will make what happened after 2016 seem mild in comparison. You don't want to give the opposition a veto, but how the opposition reacts affects how a president can govern. Democrats would certainly find a reason to deny the legitimacy of a President DeSantis, but his cabinet secretaries probably wouldn't have to have bomb-sniffing dogs checking their cars every morning. That would matter. It would be better than the alternative of the left trying to convince itself in a just fury of anti-Trump rage, that it needs to forge some kind of American color revolution. Then there's the question of age. Trump sees youthful and vital compared to Biden, but he's still 76. The unlikely event that Biden runs again, a Trump-Biden race, will be aged on aged or aged on aged violence. That will be a victory one way or another for the American gerontocracy. Um... DeSantis-Biden race, on the other hand, would set up a future, simple future versus past content, like Clinton versus Dole in 96, Obama versus McCain in 2008. And by the way, he doesn't mention this, but Trump, if he served the full term, he wouldn't be able to run again. If any other Republican wins, they could serve two terms if they can manage to get reelected. Larry goes on to say that uh, Trump did a number of truly consequential and creative things policy-wise while in office, but his erratic nature limited his ability to deliver. A vendetta tour against all his real and perceived enemies would now be layered on top of this. Uh, Trump has already shown once before that he can take a winnable national race and lose it, in part because he couldn't conceal his personal flaws, didn't even try, made himself repellent to too many voters for no good reason. It's one thing to be hated for fighting courageous fights. It's another thing to be hated for idiotic tweets and pointless outrages. All right, I think we can see where Larry's coming from. Number four, let's take a look at Twitter. So a lot of people are beating up on Elon Musk because he's telling people to vote Republican today. But it's more complicated than that. And I think on this part, Musk is getting a sort of a bum rap. 
he tweeted, which he can do because he's got 112 million followers now, 114 million, shared power curbs the worst excesses of both parties. Therefore, I recommend voting for a Republican Congress, given that the presidency is Democratic. He later said he's an independent, but he has a voting history of entirely voting Democratic until this year. Now, that's consistent. It's not Elon becoming a Republican. It's consistent with what he said all along, that he's not on the far right, he's not on the far left. And it's not crazy to say that since the Democrats control the White House, a Republican Congress would be a useful check. Now, here are some more things he said, none of the details of which didn't get covered. I'm open to the idea of voting Democrat again in the future. Like most people in America, Musk says, I agree with some of the Democrat and some of the Republican policies, but not all. And then he said, hardcore Democrats or Republicans never vote for the other side. So independent voters are the ones who actually decide who's in charge. And then he said, however, if executive and legislative branches are dominated by one party, then we lose balance of power. A little bit more nuance, shall we say, and I think perfectly consistent with what he said in the past. Uh, now, uh, Musk has also taken a lot of heat for suspending Kathy Griffin. Now, this isn't a question of, as it's being cast, like Musk doesn't like being criticized, so he suspends anyone who goes after him. What happened was Kathy Griffin was suspended for impersonating Musk to protest the new you-gotta-pay-money-for-blue-check-verified uh, status. Going forward, Musk tweeted, any Twitter handles engaging in impersonation without clearly specifying parody will be permanently suspended. Previously, we issued a warning before suspension, but now that we are rolling out widespread verification, there will be no warning. This will clearly be identified as a condition for signing up for Twitter Blue. Well, look, I don't know whether it was clearly a parody or not, but Kathy Griffin was asking for it. You know, she put herself up as if she was Elon Musk. Uh, I don't think she can complain very loudly. Now, what's fascinating also, New York Times has some numbers on this, um, that the world's richest man, the new owner of Twitter, has been on a tweeting spree. He would be on a pace to post more than 750 times this month, 25 times a day. He actually, since Friday, posted more than 105 tweets. I went to check this morning. Maybe he's asleep or working on Tesla, but nothing new as I'm doing the podcast here. Um, he has needled Kathy Griffin. He has uh, gone after Jack Dorsey. He's made masturbation jokes aimed at a rival social media platform. I somehow missed that. And he defended his ownership of Twitter, including why he laid off half the staff and why people should not impersonate others. By the way, um, they're apparently now looking to hire back some of that half the staff they laid off. I think more uh, deeper review shows that there are people that they need. Is it embarrassing? Is it erratic? Is it classic Elon? Yeah. On Friday, Elon Musk proposed a thermonuclear name and shame campaign against brands that had stopped advertising on the platform. He 
He said he'd done everything he could to appease advertisers, but that activists, this goes back to uh, something he posted previously, which I've talked about. Activists had worked against him to cause brands to drop out of spending on Twitter. Um, yeah, I don't know if he's going to do this name and shame thing or not, but sounds like not such a good idea because, you know, forget the activists. I mean, a lot of these advertising companies were already wary of what's going to happen. But the irony of it is he has the exact same, and he's bragged about this, and his one of his top deputies has laid this out. They have not changed the content moderation part, forming this council and everything, um, they say publicly that we're using the same content moderation as the old Twitter. That's going to be a disappointment to people who thought they could do and say anything. But he hasn't changed it. Going after advertisers, I think he needs to be making nice with advertisers, but that's just me, and I most obviously am not the world's richest man. Let me wrap here with story number five. Piece by a sports writer for the Washington Post, Jason Lacanfora, about how terrible football has gotten. I haven't watched enough to have my, my own opinion, but Tom Brady had come out and said in early October, I watch a lot of bad football, poor quality of football. That's what I see. By the way, since we're always ragging on Brady, got to mention that he mounted a tremendous classic Brady comeback with the Tampa Bay Bucks this weekend where, you know, there's a minute or less than a minute left down by, I think it was four points. So you can't just kick a field goal. And he hit every receiver. He got receivers out of bounds when he needed to stop the clock and then threw a touchdown pass to give the Bucks a victory. A classic Tom Brady. He still got it, at least maybe now that his personal life has settled. I don't know. Coming back to the Washington Post column. Um, the teams that have been featured are often ill-prepared or ill-equipped to play entertaining football or move the ball in the way we've come to expect in the past-happy NFL. On-field coaching decisions and in-game management have seemed to many uh, more baffling than other. Penalties have been a scourge for some teams. Quarterback play has been erratic. And, uh, for example, you had Denver fans leaving, leaving in droves as the Broncos and the Colts headed to overtime during what would end up as a 12-9 blemish of a football contest. Still, how do you leave when it's so close? Scoring is down um, from 2.48 offensive touchdowns last year to 2.31 now. It doesn't sound dramatic, but passing touchdowns per game down from 1.54 to 1.38. Entering week nine last year, the average NFL passer rating was 94.5. It's good to be over 100. 12 passers had at least 100 rating. 408 touchdowns thrown, 191 interceptions. Now you look at this week, up through week nine, I guess. Only seven qualified quarterbacks had a rating above 100. The average rating was 90. 338 touchdown passes and 188 interceptions. You can see that that's a lot of bad throws, <laughs> to uh, put it mildly. Uh, plus, there's a coaching crisis. You might have found the epicenter here. Uh, one successful GM, speaking honestly, how many teams have the right coach and the right quarterback? There's not that many. If you have one or the other, you'll win enough games to hang around, which the league wants. Parity, you know, any given Sunday. If you have only one, there's going to be some inconsistencies in your play, but you won't be getting blown out every week. 
If you've got both, you're going to win consistently. If you don't have either, you're effed. And you're dragging down the quality of play for everybody. In his estimation, the sports writer, feel free to play along at home, only five of 32 teams received double check marks. Double check marks, excuse me. Some Hall of Fame quarterbacks have walked away in recent years. Some older quarterbacks might be hitting the wall. And these recent quarterback classes might be not that good. This is another general manager speaking to Jason LaCanfora. Then you look at who's coaching some of them, and that's a problem too. Too many of these coaching searchers are S-shows. Too many owners don't know what they're doing or even what to look for. So, a pretty sharp indictment of Major League Football, the National Football League. Does it overstate the case? I don't know. People still watch. But maybe they're watching a lot of football that's just kind of crappy. With that, I thank everybody for listening. I always enjoy spending this time with you without having to hit commercial breaks. You can get this podcast ad-free if you go either to Apple iTunes or now to Amazon Music and lots of other places. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzBeater. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.